Hi, everyone. Welcome to What's Your Why, a podcast that showcases the greatness of people through their life stories. Each episode will capture insight into the lives of people just like you and I, with the intention to connect, align, and create inspiration for and with our listeners. Stay with us through our What's and Why segment, where we dive into our guest perspective with some thought-provoking questions that just might be right up your alley. I'm your host, Helen Dillon, and thanks for joining us. Now let's get into it. Welcome to another episode of What's Your Why, where we sit down with the esteemed Lenore Phillips. Lenore is known for many things, but most widely being the current president of a little company called Phelps Media Group. PMG is an international leader in sports media, renowned for and specializing in sports branding, public relations, event coverage, media strategy, web design, and social media. I start out our conversation by drawing attention to the idea of a straight, or in this case, not-so-straight path to destiny. Lenore shares with us her experiences, ups and downs, and twists and turns of this thing that we call life. Her story is provocative, enduring, and full of gumption, and it's also one that helped turn my attention to consider a different perspective. I used to think that the road to achieving goals or destiny, whatever you believe, was a path from A to B. I've since discovered, though, through conversations like this one, that you can choose to make your own path from A to Z, and there's so many wonderful stops and letters along the way. These stops may or may not change or adjust your thoughts, dreams, or trajectory, and that is perfectly okay. This conversation with Lenore makes me remember a Kelly Catrone quote, who's the author of If You Have to Cry, Go Outside, and Other Things Your Mother Never Told You, where she says, Dreams won't always take you on a straight path to destiny, but they're usually related to what your soul wants for you. They'll force you to ask yourself the hard questions, they'll kick your ass, and more importantly, they'll turn you on. Enjoy this conversation, and I hope that you feel empowered in understanding that it doesn't have to be what it is, and you always have the power to be the maker of your own destiny. Whether you decide to make your path straight or curvy, it will forever be your choice. So much of life happens in between figuring it out and getting it done. In doing research, I was very uh, drawn to the fact that you haven't really had a straight line in life. And I don't mean any offense by that, but from, (laughs) from what I know, again, you know, the limited information that I know from, you know, being a groom, being a barn manager, helping vets and all of this at a high level. And then, um, you know, being the president of Phelps Media, and then hold on a second, throw in their bachelor's degree in art history. What? (laughs) So can you sort of talk me through a little bit of that path? So I was born and raised for the early part of my life on a horse farm uh, outside of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And my father was the horse nut. Uh, my dad had horses when he was young. And once he was established in his life, like he wanted to raise his children around horses. And so when I was born, we were born on a horse farm. My dad's a little bit eccentric. So the rest of the early part of my life, I spent living on a boat between the Chesapeake Bay and the Bahamas. And then when I became a teenager, we moved back to Pennsylvania to be with our family. And 
we went back to being around horses. I've always been a horse girl. I've always loved horses. Anything to do with horses, I love. And so I was, you know, quickly in riding lessons and riding. In high school, I was also a very high level swimmer. Um, and I actually ended up getting a scholarship to go to college to wow. swim. And when I was 18, I really was kind of done with the horses. I wasn't going to be a professional. I wasn't that talented. And I wanted to go to college. I wanted to swim and I wanted to do something else. So I took a real step back from the horses and really put myself into college. You know, there are some people that say that high school is like a pinnacle for them, a renaissance time for them. For me, college was really the beginning of that time. I love to be taught. I love to learn. I love to be around all different kinds of people. And college really was like this great amalgamation of all of those things for me. So I swam. I did all kinds of different things that had nothing to do with horses. I found a love for art and art history. And I chose to get my degree in that. Is that what you, just to interrupt for a sec, is that what you originally went to college for? No, I didn't have, on purpose, I didn't have a plan when I went to college. I'm really lucky that my parents instilled in me like a sky's the limit kind of thing and don't set your heart on one thing because at any moment it can change. My parents are both very curious intelligent people. And I'm lucky that they gave that natural curiosity and openness to me. So I, I knew I loved history. I always had an appreciation for art. But it was really when I was sitting in the classroom, like being taught about something that was beautiful by really passionate people where I was like, I want to do this forever. You know, um, I love really passionate people. You know, you can talk me into walking off a bridge if you're super passionate about it. I'm like, that's a great idea. But, you know, I just loved learning and I loved learning about how art was a representation of culture and how it brought people together and how it represented what different parts of the world were going through at different times. And I was enthralled by it, really. So... I ended up getting a bachelor's in art history, but I also had a minor in international business. And when I graduated college, I had a job in the development department of the Philadelphia Art Museum, which is one of the preeminent museums in the United States. And I worked so hard for that, and I was really proud of it. Um, but I also graduated in 2008 when the market collapsed. And so the first thing to happen when the market collapsed was all those nonprofit jobs and non-essential jobs went away. So like I got hired and let go in like the span of two months. And what was that like? Was that heartbreaking? I think at the time it was heartbreaking, but I also was pretty naive in the fact that I thought, well, you know, if I don't get a job at a museum well, then I'll get a job at an auction house or, you know, like I'll just go work somewhere that doesn't rely on public funding. And I didn't really understand the mechanisms of the financial crisis and the fact that something like art 
wasn't going to have any money attached to it for a really long time. It wasn't until, you know, June, July, August, September, when I was applying for jobs and I wasn't getting them that I realized I was a little bit, (laughs) a little bit in trouble. Again, like super fortunate because I could stay at my mom and dad's farm in Pennsylvania and ride their young horses. And I had a, a, a fallback. But one thing that has been a constant in my life really emerged in that period, which is all of my friends said, well, I'm going to take this time to go back to college mm-hmm. and get my master's degree or my doctorate degree. And I really didn't want that. You know, I loved school. I, I loved learning, but like, I really wanted to get out in front of people. I really wanted to cut my teeth. I really wanted to stand on my own two feet. And I didn't want to continue to be in college because it felt like a little bit not grown up to me. I realized that that's not the case, but I, it, you know, that independence really kind of kicked in for me in my early 20s. And unfortunately, my trainer when I was young, a man whose name is Chris Colley, trained me from when I was a very, very little girl. And he had horses for my parents when I was growing up. And he unfortunately lost his brother that same summer of 2008, very tragic. And he came home and we saw him at his brother's funeral. And after the preceding service was over, he said, you know, what are you doing with your life? And I said, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> um, he said, well, are you still riding? And I said, yeah, I'm galloping at Penn National in the morning, um, which is something that I really like to do and made a decent amount of money doing. And I said, also, I'm riding mom and dad's young horses. But, you know, I'm I'm getting a little antsy being at home with mom and dad, <laughs> making each other a little nuts. And he said, well, you know, I work for Leslie Howard and Timmy Keys. And he said, you should come be a groom for Leslie. And I said, oh, you know, like, I don't want to be a groom. And he said, Lenore, like, you're going to travel all over the country on somebody else's dime. You're going to take care of really nice horses. And she's going to be obligated to give you riding lessons if you try hard enough. And I said, okay, what do you think I could make? And he told me, and it was more than I was making galloping racehorses in the track in the morning. And it was more than I would have been making um, as an entry level assistant at a museum. And I was like, okay, you know, and it was going to be in cash. And I was like, okay, like I'll do it. So I put my Mastiff in the back of my Jeep and I packed my life in two suitcases and I drove. (laughs) Yeah. And I, you know, I drove to the American Gold Cup, which is where I am now. So kind of like full circle at this conversation. Um, only the American Gold Cup was in Ohio at the time. I think I have it right being in Ohio. And I started working for her and I never got off of that trajectory. I tell people all the time, like Leslie was the most difficult job I've ever had we lovingly called and still do call her grandma, but she was such an incredible athlete and an incredible horsewoman and an incredible worker. And she was so singularly focused on being 
the best at what she did. It was really inspiring to me. I've always found it amazing that, again, I don't know her personally, but from being at horse shows and doing different things, I've always found it amazing that she has such a dedication to her horses, not only well-being, but mental state and comfort right? Like she will spend hours just walking in and out of the in-gate, not being disruptive and petting her horses on a loose rein just to make sure that that's never going to make them or anxious or nervous when they walk in the ring. They walk in the ring and they just know that they have a job to do. She she really is dedicated to that. I've, I've always thought that. I might be wrong, but I've always thought that. No, it's true. She is very unconventional and anybody that listens to this that's been around Leslie or worked for Leslie, they're going to laugh and say that's like the understatement (laughs) of the century. And she's tough, but her singular focus is producing results and making sure that her horses are as physically and mentally stable as they can be. And, you know, Leslie's a little bit like a princess in the pea and like she gets on them and she goes, they don't feel good. And you're like, no, I was literally just on it. It feels fine. She goes, no, it doesn't feel good. And she gets off and, you know, you do your research and then something like very slight is off with it, but it could have been something that cascaded into something big. And it's only she notices because that's how focused she is on what she's doing. And I, I can also say about Leslie, I did not appreciate every single lesson I learned from her at the time, the way I appreciate it every single year that I haven't worked for her. As I mature as a person and as a female business person, I really like have more things come back to me that are like, this is what Leslie was doing. This is where Leslie's head was. Like, this is why Leslie was so tough about X, Y, and Z. And I, I really appreciate that about her. I spent two and a half years with her. And then I wanted to, you know, again, wanted to stand kind of on my own two feet doing something else. Doing something totally different or were you maybe, were you revisiting art history? Did that ever feel like that bubble had just sort of popped and you were like, okay, I spent this time in college and like, how, how does that develop? I thought that when I got done working for Leslie, I would do two more years, like being a groom or a manager for a private person that didn't quite travel as much because Leslie, we were on the road like 42 weeks out of the year and gets tiring at some point you just get tired. And I wanted to go have a private job and not travel so much and make some more money and, you know, then kind of try and re-enter into quote unquote real life. And after two years, I think I, you know, when I had a couple of private jobs and then I was managing eventually at Peter Leone's farm, Lion Share Farm in Greenwich, Connecticut. I was just like, who are you kidding? Like, you're not going back there. And it's it's not because I didn't love it, because I, I did love it and I do love it. I do often read the art section of the New York Times every day. I do um, often browse the Sotheby's <laughs> catalogs every day. You know, I do like anytime I get to go to a museum, I do. 
Anytime I travel internationally, the only thing I do or the very first thing I do is go to an art museum. Like I'm still deeply passionate about it. It still moves something in me, but the horse community is my community. And I don't foresee in the foreseeable future that I'm not going to not belong in this industry. And I don't care if they're show jumping horses or dressage horses or reining horses or like, I I don't kind of care really what part of the community it is. I just see this as like my people. And so this is where I'm going to be. But that being said, when I reevaluated where I belonged, then my ambitions changed. And that's what's led me to be at Phelps and to be in the position I am in Phelps. And it's what gets me up in the morning. And it's what speaks to what my goals are for the future. Is that something that you vied for when you decided to leave Lineshare or any of that that you were doing? And actually, was it a goal of yours to work for, you know, a media mogul, for lack of a better word? Yeah, you know, I always knew what Phelps Media Group was, Um, not really Phelps Media Group, but Phelps Sports. You know, that's something I can speak to also is that the gateway uh, to Phelps Media Group as a business is our two sports websites, PS Dressage and phelpsports.com, which are news websites. And so, you know, I can remember being in Spruce Meadows with uh, Leslie and looking on Facebook, you know, the on my yep. BlackBerry when we had those. And, you know, seeing Phelps Sports come up and talk about the fact that Leslie had just won with my horse, Lennox Lewis, or a horse I took care of, Lennox Lewis, in the Queen Elizabeth Cup. And being like, gosh, that's so cool. And I was like, man, I wonder what it takes to work there, you know, because at the time they had photographers everywhere. And, you know, it just looked like such a cool, glamorous thing to be at all those horse shows all the time. So, yeah, in early in like 2011, 2012, like that was in my mind. I have to say, like in my mid 20s, I really bounced around. I struggled with figuring out who I was as a human being and what was important to me as a human being. And so I did a lot of odd job things because I just wasn't settled in myself. Why do you think that was? To be fair, like, I think everybody in their 20s has a little bit of an identity crisis. I think, you know, you get to a point where you can't just go out and have fun all the time because you have to work or because it gets harder for you to get up in the morning when you're out with your friends. I think as a young person, especially as a young woman, like, it becomes more apparent to us more quickly that okay, you're going to have to make some sort of a decision about who you are and what you want. And I, for whatever reason, just struggled with that decision. Um, I wasn't happy being a groom, but I wasn't going to be happy going back to being a low-level employee in the real world. I had a lot of people in this industry that I loved. I still do. Um, People that I've known for 10, 15 years now that I can't imagine my life without, but it's like, man, am I, you know, am I supposed to be doing more than this? Like, I just couldn't, 
I couldn't get settled with what I was doing and what I was going to be doing or the person I wanted to be. And I had to get settled. Part of me getting settled was bouncing around. Finding different things that you could hang your passion on maybe. Yeah. And I will say that one of the things that I found that was a big, you know, like next huge professional and personal step for me is when I worked for Dr. Timothy Ober, who was part of John and R. Steele and Associates. He was, um, you know, like second to Dr. Steele, who I think many people would know is like, you know, the godfather of veterinary medicine in show jumping. You know, Dr. Steele was an Olympic team vet for a long time. Dr. Ober was an Olympic team vet when I worked for him. And I went to live in Virginia. You know, I, I remember very clearly, like my, my very good friend, Josh Benson, uh, had worked for Cal and Solom when I was working for Leslie. And he showed up to a barn I was working at one day with Dr. Ober. And he just looked so cool, like holding the, holding the, the x-ray plate, and, you know, knowing how to use the ultrasound really machine. Cool? And <laughs> I, I mean, <laughs> and, and, and honestly, when I was doing, I felt like a real right? badass. So I'm still going to cool. But I, you know, I was like, man, how did you get this job? Because like, you were just a groom like me. I know you didn't go back to veterinary school. Like, what did you do? And he goes, No, I mean, I just asked. And I said, Well, can I just ask? And he said, I mean, if, if you want, but I don't recommend it because it's hard work. And I said, I'm not afraid of hard work. Like, let's work. I want to do what you do. Yeah. So I asked and Dr. Ober said, sure. And I showed up in Virginia to this really beautiful farm in Gordonsville. And that was like the first day of the next three years of my life. And I, I have to say for as much as Leslie continues to teach me about being a focused professional, like Dr. Ober taught me about what it takes to succeed and the fact that there is no amount of work that is going to not get done if you're going to be the best at what you do. Tim, I call him Tim, I should continue to call him Dr. Ober. You know, Dr. Ober was, um, he was a tough, tough boss. We worked a lot. We worked, but we worked on the best horses for the best riders at the best competitions, like all over the country. And in some instances, all over the world. And it's because of my time with Dr. Ober that I feel comfortable talking to elite level athletes because he gave me the opportunity to talk to them in their barns around their horses as human beings and like understand what makes them tick, what their grooms do on a daily basis, what their schedules are like, what their competitions are built around. Like he just gave me through osmosis so much information about how the world of hunters, jumpers, and dressage works that it's really set me up to understand how to market to those people because I know what they do. And he increased my Rolodex, and I'm going to show my age by using the word Rolodex. <laughs> I know um, what one of those is too. <laughs> but, you know, he really like, 
he just like gave me the keys to all of these people that I could then call on as my professional career changed. That was really where I learned that if I don't know the answer to something, it's probably better if I figure it out on my own or, um, and then have a really solid question if I can't. You know, but Heather, I'm sure can relate to what it's like when you're talking to a doctor, you know, the doctor's either like chill and has tons of time for you, or he looks at you and he's like, you're joke, like you're joking coming at me with that question right now. And so, you know, for me, it was like, okay, I, I've got to get lunch for 14 people and I have to be at the next stop in an hour and 15 minutes. So I'm going to call and order lunch. I'm going to continue to work. I'm going to go pick it up. I'm going to do the orders. I'm going to take phone calls while it's happening. I'm going to research something on Google. If I don't know where I'm going, I'm going to maybe anticipate where they're going because nobody answers the phone and I don't know where they are and it's just going to get done. And so really like proactive thinking, thinking on your feet, communicating, asking questions that get answers that are actually helpful to you, not sitting in the negative because isn't that just the lesson to just do what it takes to get it done? Right. That's yeah. And I would say like my life motto at 35 spawned from all of the other stuff I did before is figure it out and do what it takes to get it done. Figure it out, get it done. And so much of life happens in between figuring it out and getting it done. And it's really like when we get to that point where we go to Phelps, because I know I'm taking a really long time to get it. I am in the position where I am today because I'm happy to figure it out. I'm capable of figuring it out and I really want to get it done. And that's, I think, what makes me an asset for for people um, and for myself, you know, it, and for my friends and the people I love, like very committed to figuring it out and getting it done. So, yeah, that's that's how that happened. When I decided it was time to leave, Dr. Obers was after like three years and it was really only because I'd met my husband and my husband was like, I'm, I don't really want to have a long-term like or a long distance relationship. So I think you should move to Florida. You know, I'll help you get on your feet, whatever, take some time off. And I knew in my heart, I needed to take some time because I was kind of spinning my wheels and I was tired. And I had this relationship and this person that I cared very deeply for. And so I I wanted to give it the time it deserved and I wanted to give him the time he deserved. So when I left Tim's, you know, that was a real identity crisis for me because so much of my identity was wrapped up in, you know, being part of Steel and Associates. And um, I didn't know if I could be anybody on my own. Again, I'm sorry to interrupt, but that's really important. I had this very conversation with somebody that I'm very close to recently uh, within the last year because I spent about 27 years working for the same company. 
And it's interesting that you bring this up that I think a lot of people do have an identity crisis when they leave a role because they associate themselves and their personality as needing that to be whole. And it's interesting that you're saying that, that you suffered from the same thing and then having to go through the whole, it's like, uh, it's like reteaching your brain or relearning that, wait a minute, you, your job is not you and you are not your job. You're totally separate from that. Yeah. And that's really crucial. And I, it's something that I try and instill in the young women that work for me we work a lot of hours and we work really hard and they get really wrapped up in what we do and the job that they do for our clients. And I do have to say to them at the end of the day, like, I love so much that you care, but you have to create boundaries for yourself and give yourself the space to be your own human being. Because if you don't, you're going to go out into the world when life changes or you get another job or whatever, and you're going to be a little bit lost because you've been standing on this crutch that is your job instead of standing on your own two feet of yourself as a, as a person. It's so easy to get lost and then hard to get found again. Yeah. Especially like if you eat, sleep and breathe your job, you're not like, I didn't have a hobby. I hadn't been swimming in 10 years. You know, when I left Dr. Ober's and I moved to Florida, I started swimming again, which was like such a, a gift for my life. But, you know, I, I left Steel and Associates and I left this job that consumed 12 hours of my day, six days a week and was like, what am I going to do? You know, how did you even decide what the answer was? Like, how did you even decide, okay, well, first step, I'm going to start swimming again. Like, how does that whole thought process, finding yourself, I guess, happen? Well, so I said to my then boyfriend, my now husband, I got to find something to do. He was like, why don't you just come to Florida, take a month off, like, don't work, like, just chill and think about it. And I was like, yeah, okay, I'm going to do that, which is a joke because I cannot take a month right. off of my and life thinks ever. About it. <laughs> like, I was like, yeah, that's going to be a great idea. And then day one, I was like, yeah. what am I doing here, guys? So I moved to Florida and, you know, after a couple of days when I finished unpacking and organized the house and color coded <laughs> the closets and like all that ridiculous stuff that, you know, type A people do when they're bored, he said, okay, like, you can't sit here like a caged animal. Like, have you given any thought to what it is that you want to do? And I said, well, I have always wanted to work at Phelps Media Group, which was also in Wellington, but I don't have any experience. And he said, well, why don't you just call? Like you have a lot of industry experience and there's nothing you can't learn. So why don't you just call and see if they'll meet you and maybe give you a roadmap for how you work there? And that happened, and I can elaborate on that in a minute. But the swimming was because I was super active when I worked for Dr. Ober because I was riding the rehab horses in the summer and going on hikes and being out and being really active. And when I moved to Florida, I didn't have any activities to do. You know, it's, it's a totally different climate. It's hard to be outside. And quite frankly, I always associated living in Wellington, Florida as work. 
I only ever went to Wellington, Florida in the winter. I only ever worked 12 hours a day, six days a week in Wellington. Like I didn't have a great association place. Yeah, I did. I hated it, to be honest. And I, you know, I don't mind saying this now because I think it's important people to know that. But like after month one, I started, I had a panic attack and out of, you know, completely out of nowhere. And I couldn't understand why I'd never had a panic attack in my life. I'd never been panicked in my life. Did you know what it was? No, I didn't know what it was. And it was a weird situation of how it happened. But, you know, by the time it was all said and done, everybody was like, no, you had a panic attack. And I started researching what helps to control anxiety in people. And the first thing that comes up is exercise, good sleep and diet. And I was like, well, I can't exercise here. It's hot as Hades, like 90% of the day. What am I going to do? And I started, you know, looking up things to do in Wellington and a master's swim program popped up. And for anybody that doesn't know, master's swimming is just anybody above the age of 21 is a master's swimmer. It's any, any age of an adult is a master's swimmer. I hadn't swam in 10 years and I was like, well, you know, practices are at five o'clock in the morning. Like I'll just get up and I'll do it. and I'll try. And I showed up for my first practice and the coach and I, his name is Patrick Billingsley to this day is one of my best, best friends. Um, the coach and I connected right away. I felt really great getting back in the water and I found this whole new community of people that had nothing to do with horses that really grounded my life and normalized my life and gave me a purpose every single day, something to train for, you know, again, like I've always been a high level swimmer. It was nice to say like, okay, I'm going to train to compete again. I'm going to have more goals. I'm going to you know, be around these other people that are driven the way I'm driven. And I'm sure the thought was refreshing. Yeah. And just nice, you know, to, to be around other people that like, didn't have any expectations of me because they didn't know me. Like I could just really be myself and it was fine. And, you know, I was around people that were 21, you know, high level athletes in college and beating up the rest of us, like making us look ridiculously slow. But then six lanes over, there's a lady that's 85 years old and she's, you know, she's coming in her own car in the morning and she's swimming and like, she's super fit and super sharp. And it's like, man, like that's, you know, how cool is that, that that person has that much purpose that late in their life. And so I, I really like fell in with that community. So once I got that part of my life under control and the swimming helped immensely with my anxiety this day, like anybody will tell you, you know, when they ask me why I get up at five o'clock in the morning to swim, it's because if I don't, I lose my sense of purpose. Like even when I'm on the road traveling for work, I get up and I exercise, like exercise, sleep, like really think is so much of an answer for everything. And it has been, you know, it has been at least for me. And so after I got settled, I did call Phelps Media Group and, and ask them if I could have an interview and God bless them. Like they interviewed me and they were like, can you take photos of the camera? Sure. <laughs> no, but I'll learn. Can you write? Like, well, I haven't since I graduated college, but I can, you know, have you ever had an office job? No, but I have a Blackberry. I can. And they 
God, like, I could, you know, I can, you know. And, and of course for them, they were like, this girl has no, she's no applicable experience. Like, so they were super kind to me. They, and this was not Mason at the time. Um, this was other people that were, were working there. Um, and they were very kind to me. And they said, why don't you go get some more experience and come back to us in a year? So I went and found another smaller marketing company that still did equestrian stuff. I worked there for a year. I cut my chops. I learned a bunch, kind of like learned how to be an office rat instead of a barn rat. And I did. I came back a year later and my interview was better. I had more to do. I had, you know, I had more experience. I did everything they wanted me to do. But then, you know, at the time they weren't looking for anyone. So then I was like, no one. I was like super upset about that. But I happened to run into a gentleman named Ralph Alfano, who also was part of a group of people that raised me in the horse industry when I was young. I can't wait to hear this story. I know Ralph well. And so Ralph is, um, I call Ralph my uncle Ralph. Um, his former wife was a trainer of mine and his, his nephew, Chris, was a trainer of mine. And so I really, really tied in with the Alfano family for better, for worse. His father shot my horses all growing up. And I ran into Ralph and he said, what are you doing? And I said, well, you know, I'm working at this job, but I, you know, I really want to work at Phelps. And he was like, Mason? And I said, yeah. And he goes, well, let's go meet him. Let's go talk to him, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what I said. He was like, well, what do you mean they won't hire you? And I was like, you know, I didn't have enough experience. I don't have any room. And he was like, that's bullshit. We're going to call Mason right now. And you're going to go in and you're going to sit down with Mason, not the people that work there or for him. Like, I want Mason to meet you because Mason will love you. And we're going to get your shit figured out. Sorry, I don't know if I'm there or not. And I was like, Uncle Ralph, like, I can't do that. Because, you know, Mason Phelps is like larger than life. And, you know, he was everybody knew him. And for better, for worse, like he was. Wait till I tell you down the road what's the first thing I said to him when I met him. I, I totally imagine. And so Ralph like called called Mason up and said, Mason, what's going on, Ralph? You know, they bullshitted back and forth for a little while. And he goes, listen, I've got this kid here. Her name's Lenore Brown. I raised her. She wants to work for you. She's been there a couple of times. I want you to meet her because I think this kid deserves a shot. I don't know why like that chokes me up but like always remembering that chokes me up he was like this you know this kid deserves a shot I don't know who gets to decide who deserves what but like the fact that Ralph Alfano who is such a wonderful human being thought I deserve that was like a big deal for me and changed my life but Mason was like well I didn't know she was ever in the office to meet her and of course Mason wouldn't know because at that time he wasn't managing anything on a day-to-day basis so like you know, having me come back in a third time created all kinds of chaos to be there. And he said to the people that were working there, like, you're going to interview her again, and I'm going to be there. And he walked in and very flamboyant and 10 minutes late, and like being a complete, you know, tornado, like he always could be a tornado. And he sat down and they were asking me like work questions. And then Mason and I just got off on a complete tangent about industry questions and horse shows and gossip and whatever. And 
it was like everybody else in the room faded away except for me and Mason. And after an hour and a half, when everybody else is like, we've got to cut this off. We're done talking about this. Like we've accomplished literally nothing except you two shooting the breeze for the last hour and a half. Like Mason got up and said, you know, someone's going to call you back in a couple of days. And I only know this, you know, secondary from working there, but you know, they said, Mason, she's lovely and she's great and she's well-spoken and in a couple of years she'll be fine, but she's not ready. And Mason said, that girl knows more about how to market things in this industry than anybody else in this office. And you're going to hire her and she's going to figure it out. And if I'm wrong, I'll take the blame for it, but I'm, you'll see I'm not wrong. And they, they did, they hired me. And my colleagues like trained me to not be a bobo in the first six months I worked there. But like, I was super creative and I had a lot of connections and I opened a lot of doors because of all the things that I had done previously. And so it's all kind of built up from there and all of those transitions. It's just kind of snowballed on top of itself. But yeah, like it, if I hadn't seen Chris Colley, in 2008, like I would never have started working for Mason in 2016. And I wouldn't know Ralph Alfano if it wasn't because I had been a groom and a rider and because I'd rode as a young person. Like truly every single step of my life was built on the fact that I met somebody that introduced me to somebody that introduced me to someone that, that like opened a door and changed something for me. And it continues to be like that until this. Isn't it funny how I started off by saying that your life didn't look like it was in a straight line and it, it didn't really connect the dots and what led you to get from A to B when really you've managed to go back and do just that, connect the dots as to what direction you went in because of what that's gotten you to where, where you're at. So it doesn't, to everybody else, it looks like it might be sort of a snake pattern, but to you, it actually really is quite directional. Yeah. And I, it's very directional. And I can say that like all of the people that I've met or come across along the way are people that have continued to be a really important part of my life. Being here in Traverse City with part of my team, you know, the young women that are here with me that work for Phelps Media Group they're always like, how do you know all these people? You know, because they can't figure out how to get something done nine times out of 10. I know how to call somebody to get something done, or I know like who does get something done so it can get done. And everybody's like, how do you know that? And it's just like, I've been doing, I've been in this business, you know, for me, it seems like a long time, 10 years, 12 years, seems like a long time, but all of those people are really, really important to me. All of those people pay, play an incredibly critical role in making our little world go round. Um, I've grown up with a lot of these people. I've matured with a lot of these people. You know, we went from being 20 somethings together to having spouses, families and companies and new products. And, you know, it's just, it's nice for me to have a good portion of the entirety of my life in a community that I can move 
easily in. There's a lot of safety there for me, but also, you know, it makes me even more passionate about what I do and how I represent Phelps Media Group and and the role I want Phelps Media Group to continue to play, even though we've unfortunately lost Mason, is because I want to continue to be influential and important and meaningful and successful with these people and alongside these people that I care very deeply about. Mm -hmm. What does that look like since Mason? I mean, I know that the loss of him was very tragic and very sudden. You, I'm assuming you just worked your way up in the company, you know, over the years to sort of achieve, because was it not announced a week prior to losing Mason that, uh, you know, things had sort of shifted and people had gotten promotions and. Yeah. So Mason, probably two years after working at PMG, there had been sort of an upper level management shift and Mason was like, I'm going to come back into the business and I'm going to be president of the company because he had been trying and, you know, as was his right to be trying to step away and retire. And when this management shift happened, he said, I'm going to come back in and I'm going to get reengaged, but you're going to be my vice president. And I was like, he was like, you're going to start managing your staff, managing these staff which was terrifying because all of those people were my friends and the transition from going to being friends with people to being people's boss is traumatic to say the least. I don't care how talented you are. There's going to be parts of that that are really isolating and really painful. Like my journey to that was no exception. Luckily I have an incredibly talented group of young women that work for me, um, worked for Mason now work for me. And I, you know, we hire good interns, good interns become good employees. Like we've got a really great office community, um, our own little family, you know, that was still hard. And so for, you know, a year again, like I was deer in headlights about that when Mason said, this is what you're doing. But I just, figured it out and got it done and figured out also in the process that I really enjoy being a boss. I really enjoy mentoring people. I really enjoy helping people problem solve. The success of my team is honestly like watching these young women that work for me grow as professionals and grow as human beings. And it's the most gratifying part of what I do. And I'm so incredibly proud of them on a day to day basis. Like we don't always get it right. But everybody's always bringing their a game. And I'm so proud that we have that community there. But you know, Mason was in the business pretty actively for six months until he saw I wasn't drowning. And then he kind of took a step, you know, little incremental steps back. After my first year as being a vice president, like the pandemic hit and that was eye-opening, eye-opening, especially from a business perspective. Like I was never, yeah, I was always concerned about the pandemic, but I never was worried about the health implications for 
our community because I had blinders on about what was happening in the business. You know, the business went from making X amount of dollars a month to making less than a third of that in 48 hours, really, like, and truly in a week, like we were at, we were in trouble. And so that, you know, Mason and Julie Tannehill, who's the chief financial officer at Phelps and had been at Phelps forever, you know, circled the wagons and Julie's really like Julie and I are each other's right hand people. We're managing the company together today. You know, we really circled the wagons and said, this is what we have to do as a company in order to make sure that we don't have to lay anybody off or cut anybody's salaries. Um, Again, something I'm most proud of is the fact that Mason and, and I and Julie were like singularly focused on the fact that our team was not going to have to feel any negative ramifications of the pandemic until it was like absolutely necessary. Mason was always like very like PMG girls first, like didn't matter what he had to do in order to keep his girls happy, but he did that. And that was always like fun and games before, but it was really serious this time with the pandemic. And I normally Mason goes to Canada in the summer and because of the pandemic, he didn't get to do that. And so I had him for a whole year and a half, almost two years, spent a lot of time with him learned from him, gossiped with him, spent time with him as a person. And though, like, I'm just so grateful for that. The pandemic was terrible. It was terrible for many, many, many people. I I don't pretend to understand how much more people suffered than we did. But for me, it gave me more time with him. And in the end, because we did lose him this year, that's become more important to me than anything. So anyway, what I was trying to say is when the pandemic was over, like nobody was getting any raises or anything anytime soon, but he called me into his office and he said, you know, I I just want you to know, I'm really proud of how you and Julie handled this. And I'd like, you guys don't need me anymore. You're capable of doing it on your own. And I'm really proud of what you did. And so I'd like to promote you and I'd like you to be president of this company. And I'd like, you know, to give these other titles of Julia's chief financial officer, Anna Hepner, who's been with the company for I think seven years, got a, a bigger director's um, promotion as well. And, you know, he was just so giving that way, you know, just like Mason, so like you did good. I'm going to tell you that you, did well. I'm going to reward you for doing well. I'm going to tell you how important that was. And, you know, especially for young women, for anybody, but like, especially for young women, again, it's really important to hear that. You know, you can talk for in circles about how it's important, you know, for girls to hear from older people that, you know, they're appreciated and they did a good job, but like for young people, like the people that work at Phelps and even for me to have him say like, you did well and you deserve to be doing this because you're doing a good job. And I want you to have this responsibility was Mm -hmm. 
pretty special. And then, you know, we lost him suddenly a week later. And luckily, like we were doing such a good job that there is the shift had already happened the business. Everybody was comfortable with what had happened. It was more just like the loss of that big human being for us. And everyone in our community has been so kind to our team. You know, there was a real outpouring of support when he did pass. It was special for us to see how much he meant to other people because we only knew how much he meant to us. But yeah, I mean, Phelps Media Group is going to continue to live on in his spirit um, and and also in his honor. Like that name's always going to be Phelps Media Group and we're always going to be doing it partially for me. So you are now a powerhouse of lovely young ladies keeping it real, doing the do and uh, having his name live on. Tell me, uh, tell me, I mean, I know what Phelps Media Group does, but maybe for those that don't know, tell us a little bit just about, you know, what the primary focus is there. Yeah. So Phelps Media Group is um, the largest equestrian marketing and public relations firm in North America. We focus mainly on what we call competitive equestrian sports, which is hunter jumper dressage and some polo. Uh, We do everything from event marketing and public relations to athlete management, athlete marketing and public relations, um, social media, advertising, brand campaigns, pretty much if you need marketing help in the equestrian space, like we, we have worked with nonprofits. We work with some of the top horse shows in the country. We work with some of the top athletes in the country. We work with some of the top businesses in the country you know, we're really, really, really tied in to the day in and day out of what happens in equestrian sport. We're very, very future focused in equestrian sport, always being the best we can be for our clients, um, which is, you know, then the best we can be for ourselves, the best representation of ourselves. And I have a group of 10 young women that work for myself and for Julie Tannehill. And I have to say, like, Again, those young women are really what makes our world go round. They're incredibly, incredibly forward thinking. They're incredibly creative. They're very thoughtful and honest and hardworking. They care a ton about their clients. I actually have to say, like, we as a group care a ton about our clients. If our clients win, you know, we're the first ones texting one another, like, congratulations, your client won this. So awesome. You know, when we're at horse shows, like we are here at the American Bowl Cup in Traverse City, our team's always watching the live stream and saying, hey, we see you guys on TV. You know, your photo's awesome. You know, it's just, we have brainstorming sessions every week and every month for our clients, for each individual client. Like, we're really, really collaborative and forward thinking group of people. And I do think that, you know, one misconception is that people think that Phelps Media Group is super expensive and very elite and you can't talk to us. And that's not true at all. Like, I want to talk to everybody, even if you don't have a budget, even if you don't know what marketing looks like for your company, even if you only have an idea, like picking up the phone and calling us is free. 
I'm happy to call you. That's also free. Like, we just love talking to horse people. We love being around horse people and we love helping horse people. I'm also like a very passionate networker. And so if I know somebody that I think can do a better job for you than we can, or if I just know somebody that I think you might like to know, I will connect you to them. It's like a superpower, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love, I love networking. <laughs> it sounds like you guys have an amazing, amazing company and community culture. It's really refreshing. We're trying. I have had jobs where I have felt tired and unseen and unheard and unappreciated. We all have, like, that's having jobs. And I don't want that for the young women that work for me because I want them every day they come to work to a like coming to work. Cause if you like coming to your job, you're going to work harder. B to feel like they're allowed to stand up for themselves and believe in the ideas that they have because they're so smart and their creativity is what drives a lot of the most successful things that we do. And I also really eat, sleep, and breathe in business by having an open door policy. Like confrontation is not bad. Opinions are not bad. Struggling is not bad. Nothing is bad. But there's a big but there. None of those things can be overcome or sorted out if you don't talk about them. So you're not happy, you're not doing good, you're tired, you're frustrated, just come in and sit down or pick up the phone and call me because I also really believe, and again, this is like part of my maturing as a human being, so many of the problems I had as a younger person is because I couldn't get out of my own way and I didn't ask anybody for help because I was afraid to ask somebody else for help. So now by saying, please sit down, let's talk it out together. And if I can help you, I will. Makes all the difference in the world. Because not only do people trust you to have their best interest at heart, which I really, really do have the best interest at heart for everybody that works at PMG, but almost like most people on the yeah. in general, <laughs> uh, certainly like all of our clients, all of our staff, but like everybody in my sphere of influence, I, I have their best interest at heart, but like, let's talk it out. Like you may not be able to see the solution because you're so stuck in the problem. So let's talk about it. You need a break. We'll find you out. Take a break. You know, we're not curing cancer. We're doing marketing for equestrian sports, which is amazing. But, you know, the world's not going to end if you don't have an answer about something today. So that's, you know, the biggest thing for me is that we have this environment where people can be open and honest and creative and cultivate success in one another, because that's ultimately what cultivates success for the business. If you could look back at 
the 20 couple year old self working with Chris and working with Leslie and doing all that stuff. If you could look back and you could stand and look at yourself in the eye and give one piece of advice, do this thing and it will be better. It will be okay. What would that be? Don't take it all so personally. I, I took everything, every criticism, every frustration, every not perfect moment, really personally. And I really like wrapped so much of my self-worth in everything being perfect all the time. Again, like I think that's very typical of type A people. And I only did detriment to myself because nothing that I was carrying around in my heart actually had anything to do with me. So if I could tell myself, and I sometimes I tell myself this on a daily basis in my mid thirties, like, why don't you just take a step back? Don't be so (laughs) self-centered. Like the world around you. And like, let's just, just not take it so personally and take a chill pill. And, and it helps a lot. And it's so much easier said than done for anybody. So much easier said than done, but it's really, really important to realize that sometimes it has nothing to do with you. Another thing I just learned from your story is, um, don't be afraid to just ask. Right. Yeah. I, I also really believe I was just having a conversation with a friend this morning. They were struggling with something and I asked them, why didn't you just call and ask me for help? Cause it's like a really simple solution for me. I said, well, I didn't want to bother you. And that really kind of floored me because I don't ever see myself as being a important enough to be bothered or b not having space for other people, especially people that I care about. And I said, you know, we can't figure it out if we don't know what's going on and not like nobody's ever bothering me. And so for myself, when I get self-conscious, it has to be like, okay, you're not bothering people if you're trying to offer a solution or just trying to have some connection with people. Cause we all need that, right? Like we all need with our friends or spouses or coworkers or whatever. Like there's, you're never a bother like, and don't afraid to say what you need. It's fine. It's fine. It's, it's really going to be fine. And so much of that fear is internal. It has nothing to do with the people you're talking to. It's nothing to do with going on around you. It's everything to do with like how you feel. At our 20 something year old selves. (laughs) Yeah. So just ask, like, just ask for help. You know, again, like I, I all, I'm always going to go back to that, that time with Ralph. Like I wasn't really asking. I just said like, I need help because I'm kind of stuck. And only by saying I'm stuck 
did he say, well, you deserve to have a chance. Let's fix it. Yeah. Everybody deserves to have a chance. Like everybody deserves every opportunity that can be given to them. So if you ask, the universe is going to somehow present it to you. Maybe not right there, maybe not right then, but at least by putting it out there, you know, you give it some room to grow. And it's so nice that our equestrian community always embraces that. Because no matter where you are in the world, no matter how many degrees of separation there is between you and a few people, we all care about each other wholeheartedly. And you're going to learn that when I start to call you every day because you're part of my tribe now. I'll be asking every day now. Right. <laughs> right? Well, well, I'm always around. I want to say that about our community. We're a bunch of misfits. Yeah. In a lot of ways. Like we're a big bunch of a mess. And you have a lot of people from a lot of different walks of life that uber rich to the have very little. We speak every single language on the planet. We travel all four corners of the earth. And a lot of us are like big characters and a lot of us are weird. Have you been told that? Oh, you're, you're a strong character. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Strong personalities, big personalities, like out of the box personalities. But you know what? Like, once you're in our bubble, you're you're fine. Like, how many people do we all know that have had serious substance abuse problems but are sober, relapse but are sober? They never get kicked out. Like, we're just, like, going to carry them. How many people, like, were me, were grooms, and now they're executives, and maybe one day I get tired of being an executive and I want to go be a groom. Like, nobody's going to judge me. And you're right. It's like we never get kicked out of a club. No, it's like you're having a hard time. It's fine. You want to do something else? Like, it's fine. It's it's fine. Like, so many of us reinvent ourselves on a frequent enough basis, but we never fall out with our community. And I can't think of a single other community of people that's like that. Also, and I think a lot of that has to do with like the empathy mm-hmm. that horses teach you. Like if you love horses, you know, and that's not even something we have time to talk about is what an insane horse girl <laughs> I am. What a crazy rider I am now. Um, I'm like the rider I was so <laughs> judgmental of before. I might have seen that on social media. I might have judged that. <laughs> Yeah, like I've got my, I, I have and I'm pay, paying for my own horse now, Pete, and I like eat, sleep and breathe him. It's like, and I'm, wow, I'm turned into that crazy amateur lady that I judged super hardcore 10 years ago. And I'm not ashamed at all. But, you know, horses teach you hard work. They teach you empathy. They teach you so many life lessons, dogs do the same, any animal does the same. But like, we have a lot of, I think, empathy for one another, because the horses keep us really mm-hmm. super grounded. And you can go out there and you can win a million dollar Grand Prix. And then the next day you can fall off and break your leg jumping across rail. Anything can happen with animals and you just got to roll with it. And we take care of animals day in and day out. Our life revolves around animals day in and day out. 
And that really just gives you perspective on the, on, I think dealing with other people, you know, they're having a good day, bad day. It doesn't really matter. We're all still in this together. And now we've come to what some would call the very best part of the show, our segment appropriately named What's and Why's. It's where we get to ask our guests some questions that inquiring minds want to know. So without further ado, I bring you the What's and Why's for your listening pleasure. Who do you look up to and why? It's going to sound like a cop out, but it's not. Really, really look up to my mom and dad. My mom and dad have been together a long time, worked through things a long time, always been authentic to who they were and like are always there for me, good or bad. A lot of times they tell me still things at 35 I really don't want to hear, but like that honesty because they care about me is huge. And so like truly my mom and dad and I had a hard relationship with them as a teenager. I had a hard relationship with them when I was a young adult. Every single year I get older, my relationship with my mom and dad gets better because they're human beings to me now and parents, not just parents. And I just think they're really incredible human beings. So I, you know, I hope that trend continues for me. What is something that brings you joy and why? My horse. (laughs) I knew that was going to be the answer. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I bought that horse as a, like a pandemic purchase, um, which at the time was stupid, but it was a serendipitous thing to do. And I'll tell you, like, it's not just the horse because he's my heart horse because he is. And people that know what that means understand that, but it gives me so much joy in the fact that how lucky am I to have the privilege to ride horses how lucky am I to have the privilege to work in the equestrian industry and have this horse be part of the circle of my life with horses. And also like I have so much joy that he and I get to do things together. You know, that, that, that animal trusts me enough, trusts my intentions enough to do things with me. No, it kind of sounds silly when I'm saying it, but I can honestly say like so much joy in my life comes from the peace that that animal provides to me and the connection that he provides to me, to the people that I work with and that I work for and that I want to work for Mm -hmm. in the future. It's not silly at all. I think that's a great answer. When you look back through your life, what decision brings you the most happiness and why? I think the decision to leave my job in Virginia and move to Florida is the answer to that. Not because it brought me joy at the time, because it didn't, but because it changed the trajectory of my life and helped me find joy later. If I hadn't given up to God, <laughs> um, which is a little bit of a, uh, I'm not a 
a religious person, but it's like an inside joke at the office. You know, we're just going to give it up to God and hope it works out. You know, if I hadn't given up to God and just said, I'm throwing my hands up, I'm walking off the bridge and I hope that somebody's going to be there to catch me at the bottom or that I'm at least going to land and be able to dust myself off, then I wouldn't have anything that I have now. I have tremendous work, a tremendous family, a tremendous friend, like a beautiful home, like a, a life I'm really proud of. None of that would have happened if I hadn't chosen to close one door and open another. What's something that you feel people get wrong about you and why? You know, I literally don't know how to answer this because I don't ever think about what other people think about me. Amazing. It's not that I'm not curious about how I make other people feel. It's not that I (laughs) don't really want to know how I make other people feel um, because I do, but I can't control how other people feel. The only thing I can control is how I behave towards other people. And I make a very, very serious effort to be kind to people, to be polite to people, and to be open to whatever people bring to me. And I really do want to be friends or at least connected to everybody I meet. I don't know what their misconceptions are, but I can't, I can't control that. All I can control is that if you choose to get past those misconceptions and talk to me, I'm going to want to have you in or around my life. Who would you like to hear on What's Your Why next as a guest and why? Are you thinking Dan Levy right now? I'm not. Oh, damn. (laughs) You have like this universal power. I'm kind of hoping it's Dan Levy and he's going to give us a call. I did just find him on TikTok, though, because I've just TikTok is and I'm like, God, you're like my spirit animal. Um, (laughs) Again, this is going to seem like another cop out. I don't want it to seem like a cop out at all. He doesn't even know I exist, so it's like fine. Um, <laughs> but I really, I really want somebody to do like a meaningful interview with McLean Ward because McLean is like, you know, he's like, yeah, marble up front. You see McLean and you're like, do you even have <laughs> yeah. feelings? Like, He's like Tom Brady that way. You know, it's like, do you even like operate as a normal human being with like feelings and issues and whatever? Or do you just like exist in a constant state of achievement? But, you know, I know a little bit about McLean. You know, I know his team. I was just going to say that. So you couldn't have Lee work for you if you had no emotion whatsoever. No, but like Lee trained me when I went to work for Leslie and I do nothing. I knew nothing. Leslie and Suey, who was her barn manager at the time, you guys might know Suey. They were like, 
can you just go be with Lee for a week and come back to us like when you're trained? Because we don't have time for your shit. But if you go to be with Lee, he will fix it and then send you back. And that, you know, I didn't go every day. Um, I wish I had, but I didn't know something, they'd be like, can you just go ask Lee? Like, we literally don't have time for you right now. And so I would, I'd go ask Lee and listen, like high achieving people don't not suffer. Like high achieving people just don't let the suffering change what their goals are. And I think McLean has had hard times as a young person. I think he's had hard times being an athlete, like you don't get to be a goat without struggling emotionally somehow. It's a lot of pressure. Being responsible for all those people that are part of Castle Hill, which he is in many respects, like that's a lot of responsibility. And I would just love, you know, he has a beautiful family now. He's achieved so much. What from the outside seems like homeostasis and happiness in his life, I would just love to hear about that growth from him because it never just happens. And I bet he'd have a thing or two to teach us about that. Or 105, right? Five, five <laughs> probably. <laughs> He's great. I just, I've just like seen him in so many high pressure situations and he just like, gets it done. And you just want to be like, how do you do that? Tell me. (laughs) Lenore, I cannot thank you enough, really. And I I close every episode with saying I cannot thank you enough. I wish I could come up with different words. But we've now spent an hour and 29 minutes on the phone um, with somebody who doesn't have a lot of time. And that time is important to us and important to our listeners. And thank you very, very much for giving it to us. Thank you, guys. It's really been an honor to talk to you, and I hope we get to do all kinds of fun things together in the future. Do you like how you're hearing today's episode? I don't mean how you're listening to it, but how you're hearing it. Whether you're driving in your car or listening on some pods, there's one thing that I'm certain of, that this podcast has been produced with the most enjoyable hearing experience possible. For those of you that know me, You know that these skills are most certainly not in my repertoire. So for that, What's Your Why has Twisted Spur Media Solutions to thank. Twisted Spur is an all-encompassing solution-based media company that's everything magic. Offering digital solutions in podcast and audiobook editing and production, online course and membership design and development, in addition to content creation, online paid advertising management, and project planning, It's a one-stop shop of mad skills that Heather and her team bring to every project they work on. I can and will speak from personal experience when I say that Heather is a true advocate for quality, and you won't find a better solution for your digital project than Team Twisted Spur. If you like what you hear or even just want to nose around, check them out at twistedspurmedia.com, where the process is easy and the solution is even better. I'd like to thank everyone for joining us for this episode of What's Your Why, our listeners, guests, and our sponsors too. It's our hope that you enjoyed your time with us and possibly gained some new perspective as well. It's said that we can learn something new every day if we just listen, and that knowledge has a beginning, but no end. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, be safe, be well, and remember, always leave people better than you found them. A Twisted Spur Media Production.